So Acts chapter 24, beginning in verse 22. I'll read for us. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that Paul should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. As he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. Again, we're, we're due for a previously in the book of Acts moment, as you have done your binge watching on whatever shows you have, uh, and you realize, you know, everyone, you, you can skip over the intro. You can't skip over this intro because I'm going to give it to you. So Paul has arrived. Where, where are we at in the book of Acts? Paul has arrived in Jerusalem after a 15-year run of preaching the gospel in Gentile lands and planting churches in, in places that we know today as the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean, as the country of Turkey, as the country of Greece, that Paul has been giving all of these, uh, has been preaching the gospel and planting churches in this, region, in this region. He's planted churches. Here's just a list of cities, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Troas, Ephesus, Colossae. These are all cities in Turkey. And then in Greece, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth. Paul has planted churches in all of these places, a 15-year run of ministry. Have you guys had a 15-year run in your career? Have you had a good 15, 20-year run in a career? Paul has come to the end of a run like that. And now he's returned to Jerusalem, bringing with him a collection, donated funds from all of these churches back to Jerusalem, back to the Jerusalem church. And he's also brought with him converts, people that have trusted in Jesus, but were not Jewish, Gentile converts. And I think that Paul is thinking that he is, he's playing a part in the fulfillment of messianic prophecies, that when the Messiah comes, the Gentile lands will give tribute to the nation of Israel, and they will come, their, their emissaries will come and pay tribute. And I think the Apostle Paul sees himself as one who is part of this messianic prophecy. Jesus has come. It might not look like the way that, that they had thought it might look, but Paul wants to make it clear that, that Jesus is being honored in the Gentile world, and he's come back to Jerusalem. And he's brought with them these Gentiles, and they, they've, they've embraced this message that Jesus is king. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is king, and that they have turned from their former allegiances, and now they are following after Jesus the king, 
part of his kingdom, behaving as if they are part of the kingdom of God. Now, what else happened when Paul arrived in Jerusalem? What happened when Paul arrived in Jerusalem? Trouble. There was some trouble. You can't spend 15 years in a controversial career without making some enemies. And Paul had made some enemies, not only in the Gentile world, but also in Jerusalem. And there was a violent riot, thinking that Paul had brought a Gentile into the temple. Now, by the way, just keep think about this that there was a violent riot because Paul had the audacity to bring a Gentile into the presence of God. Into the presence of God. And I think that, again, this is not about, I want to make it clear, this is not about anti-Semitism because Paul is Jewish, Jesus is Jewish. This is really, what we're reading is Jewish literature of the first century, okay? And also that there are many people who are Torah observant that are following Jesus at this time. This is not about that the nation of Israel is done because they're of no belief. But it is interesting that there are people, and sometimes we ourselves are those people who are like, we might shut the doors on somebody. That we can't, you can't bring that person into the presence of God. And we talked about that last week. But there's a riot that ensues because Paul had the audacity to introduce a Gentile into the presence of God. But what we really know, we, we, spoiler alert, right? We already know this as readers, God has gotten loose. God has escaped the temple. God is already out there. And one of the things that we're going to see with what Luke is going to give us a sense of is that God has gotten out and God is now making a way. God's making a way for his gospel to make its inroads Inroads in this. So there's this violent, there's violent riot But what we find in this passage, as well as last week, but we're going to see it kind of play out here, that God has raised up an unlikely protector for the Apostle Paul. No, God did not strike his enemies blind with a light from heaven. He could do that, and he did that earlier in the book of Acts. God did not send an angel opening doors. God didn't send an angel here as an unlikely protector. God didn't have an earthquake that opened prison doors or took Paul's chains off. That's not what happened either. The unlikely protector that God sends is the state government, the Roman Empire. An unlikely ally of the earliest followers of Jesus. And if you were living in the first century and reading the book of Acts, you would be reading this because It was a contentious relationship between Rome and Christianity, but in this passage, what we're going to see today is that Luke is going to make the case, at least for a time, that the Roman Empire not only provides safety for the messenger of God and the gospel, that the Roman Empire will actually protect it as it goes towards Rome. It's a radical idea, and it would have blown people's minds because when this is written, it's pretty contentious. But here we have God working in an unlikely way through an unlikely protector to bring the message of Jesus' kingship to the kings and rulers of its day. You guys with me on this? This is is a very interesting passage. We're going to walk through it. And um, what we find is that where we're at here is that when Paul finally makes it to a quiet moment after this violent riot, 
He finally makes it to a quiet moment under the guards of Rome. Jesus comes and stands by him at night. And in chapter 23, 11, Jesus says this to Paul, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And that statement, that arrival of Jesus in Paul's prison cell, wherever he's being held, standing by him in the middle of the night, will set the trajectory for the rest of these chapters in the book of Acts. Even You've already testified about me in Jerusalem. Now you are going to testify about me in Rome. And of course, we all know that the beginning of the book of Acts, the whole point of the book of Acts, is that Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my testifiers in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we now enter into an ends of the earth type of a movement in the book of Acts. And this ends of the earth movement sets a new trajectory, a new season of ministry, a new pattern, a new rhythm, as well as some new challenges. So let's explore it. You guys ready for this? Let's explore it. Let's see what we have, what the Holy Spirit has for us today. Let's look in chapter 23, verse 12. This passage, this section begins with a problem. Look at verse 12 in chapter 23. It says this, when the Jews had made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring Paul down to you as though you are going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. All right, a couple comments on this. Let's just start with this idea that these 40 people who made this oath, they were hungry for a long time. They made an oath not to eat or drink until they killed Paul. They got a few years before Paul dies, and it's not at their hands. And so there is a little bit of, there's a little bit of humor that's going on here, that this, uh, they're going to they're gonna go hungry and they're going to conspire to have Paul brought down with the pretense that he's, in, he's still in Jerusalem, he's being held in the barracks, in the, in the, the fortress alongside the temple, the, the, this group of 40 Jewish, uh, I mean, these are zealots, Jewish zealots. They go to the leaders and just say, hey, bring Paul down, and then you won't have to do the dirty work. Like, you won't have to get blood on your hands. You just get them to bring him down. We'll jump in. We'll kill him. You block our escape so the Romans can't get us. Win-win. We got a win-win going on here. Try that out. All right. But God, God has his people everywhere, right? And so let's look in verse 16. It says, now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. By the way, Paul has a sister? All right. And it got, he's got a nephew too. So these are all, <laughs> these are some interesting, we don't hear about this any other place, um, but we have a lot, we have a pretty good account of what's going on here. Paul, uh, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. This is going to be significant later, and I'll, we'll talk about why. But Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So this is really interesting, because you have, you have your everyday Roman soldiers, and then you have centurions, over a hundred of those, and then you have the tribune, who's over a thousand of those, or, or 700 of those, over a cohort. The cohort is seven 
centurions, okay? And so Paul is able to call a centurion to go give a message to the tribune. This is a pretty, so this is a pretty significant thing that Paul is able to do. So Paul, as we find out, a couple things, and as we, as we move into this new season, there's going to be a number of differences to what Paul previously was able to do and now is being forced to do or is now able to do. And Paul, what we're going to find out is that Paul, as we think about Paul's travel, um, Paul has had to make hasty departures to leave town in the middle of the night. Like, for example, in Damascus, he had to be smuggled out in a basket. But now the circumstances are going to be a little different. And this is where Luke is going to begin to make a point about this new season of ministry for the Apostle Paul and the way God will provide for the movement about the message of Jesus. Now, think about this, okay? We picked up Paul, conversion in chapter 9, journey started in chapter 13, and they end as we get to Jerusalem. Okay? One, we have a trusting Paul. What do we know about He goes to where? He always goes to a synagogue, and he preaches that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, you can only preach that so long before you get kicked out. And where does he go after that? He goes to the marketplace. Actually, he probably does the marketplace during the week, Saturday at the synagogue. But then he moves into the synagogue to the Agora, and he preaches in the Agora. He's a leather worker. Okay, He has the tools of the trade, and he moves about freely. Does he, does he take money to preach the gospel? No, he supports himself. This is why he travels. He doesn't want to make it, he doesn't want people to be confused that the gospel costs money, that the good news about Jesus costs money for him to preach. So he works, he does, he pays his own way, he does accept hospitality from other people and lives in homes. Probably when he's in Philippi, the, the house of Lydia is a, probably a pretty nice place. But maybe when he's living, you know, in somewhere else like Berea or Thessalonica, it's not so nice. We hear that he, he has, uh, there's a variety. He's learned to have a lot and he's learned to have a little and he's learned to be content in all circumstances. He's working with his hands. He's relying on the hospitality of believers. But all of this is going to change. Listen to how Paul describes his travels. In, se- in 2 Corinthians, he describes how he traveled. This is what he says. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Don't turn there, just listen. He says, I've been on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, in danger at sea. Do you get the, the message here? In danger in danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, in hunger, in thirst, without food, in cold and exposure. Listen to the way Paul will travel on this evening. Look at 23, 23. Sorry, actually in 22, 23, 22. So the tribune dismissed the young man. Paul's nephew gets dismissed, charging him, don't tell anyone the information about these things. Then he called two of his centurions, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night and also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. So the third hour of the night is 9 p.m. 
at 9 p.m., this massive armed force leaves Jerusalem. Horses, guards, spearmen. Paul's not in a basket being lowered from the walls of Damascus. Paul is mounted on a steed surrounded by hundreds of soldiers with the express purpose of his safety. Look, you don't think that God can do something outside of the box, everybody? You don't think that God can take people wherever he wants to take them in whatever manner he wants to take them? You don't think that God can knock down any wall? You don't think that God can use a corrupt government? God is going to have his way. Paul will never try. This, this is the safest travel that he has ever experienced in his life. It just so happens that he's in chains. <laughs> oh, I didn't mention that part either. Now, the, so everything is going to change. His freedom changes, but also his safety changes. He's given an armed escort out of Jerusalem, delivered to the coastal city of Caesarea, and Rome is going to unwittingly safeguard the messenger of the good news. Rome is going to pave the way. So Paul travels safely, but he's going to be detained. He's no longer a free person. The question is, will this be a problem? Will this be a problem for Paul? Will it be a problem for the gospel? Will it be a problem for, for, uh, for God? Okay, look at, thir- look at chapter 23 and verse 16. So I want to I explore a lot. I want to explore this because if you're like me and you hear about, like, because Paul writes while he's in imprisonment, while he's a prisoner, he writes a number of letters called the prison epistles. And I, I've taught one of these at both Biola University as well as at Fuller Seminary. And one of the questions is, what are the circumstances when Paul writes these letters? And if you're like me, you've seen, you've seen pictures, like etchings, where Paul is like in chains, he's at a table, and there's like a shaft of light coming in through bars, right? And so the question is, what does this imprisonment look like? And it might be a little different than how maybe you have it in your head when Paul writes as a prisoner or while he is in chains. Look at 23.16. Here's one example of his imprisonment. When the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks, told Paul. Paul called out one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune. He has something to tell him. Now, we've already read that and we talked about it. But here's the thing. Paul, as a prisoner, what is he able to do? He receives a visitor. And then getting the news from the visitor, he tells the centurion, hey, go take a message to the tribune. Like, who can tell the centurions to go take a message to your boss. Like, nobody else can do that. So there is a degree that Paul has a degree of authority as a Roman citizen as he is in these circumstances. Confined, but still with some ability. Now, here's another. Look at when Paul does arrive at Caesarea, look at 2333, verse 33. Look at this. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, this is Governor Felix, They presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from, and when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I'll give you a hearing when your accusers arrive, and listen to what what he does with him. He commanded him to be guarded 
in Herod's Praetorium. All right, back up a little bit. The city of Caesarea is on the coast, okay, of Israel. And Herod the Great, Herod the Great, there's a number of Herods, but the, Ur, the first Herod the Great was not great because he was a great military leader. He was not great because he was a great human being. He was actually a horrible human being. But what he was great at was building. He was a great builder. That's why he's Herod the Great. One of his great building projects was at Caesarea on the coast. He built a huge harbor with a jetty that went out into the ocean. They actually knew how to make cement back in the first century. And they poured all of the cement and they made an artificial jetty and they made a huge port. And he built himself a palace. And in this palace, he, he built a jetty out into the ocean where his palace would go out into the ocean and they had pools out in this jetty, out on this jetty in his palace. And it was this sprawling compound that was beautiful. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Caesarea is rough right about at the same spot, right about at the same latitude. You guys, I don't know if you knew this, but Israel and California are roughly at the same latitude on the globe. So the, the atmosphere, the, 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 the environment, the, the weather in Israel is very similar to the weather here in Southern California. And as a matter of fact, Caesarea is just about at the same latitude as Newport Beach. Let me read this again. He commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Where does he go? He goes into a palace in Newport Beach to be guarded. All right, so all all this to say, like we went, Kelly and I, we went to Israel and like we drank cappuccinos at Caesarea. I mean, it was awesome. I'm just saying, like if you're going to be in jail somewhere, that's your spot. All right, now keep listening to this. Keep listening to this. Because um, listen, look, at, um, look at verse, um, where are we at? 24, chapter 24, okay? Okay, chapter, and I'm not saying that Paul was in the lap of luxury. Let me, let me just make this clear. I'm not saying he's in the lap of luxury, but it could be worse, okay? Listen, look at chapter 24, verse 22, okay? It says, Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, this is what we're trying to figure out, what does Paul's imprisonment look like, Okay? And he put them off. He says, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I'll decide your case. Verse 23. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but to have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. While Paul is in this season, okay, yes, he is a prisoner in the sense that he is bound. He cannot leave the compound, so to speak, but he's given liberty, guarded by soldiers, but allowed to have visitors. We also find that during this time, this is going to be maybe not right now, but while he's in Rome, a productive time where Paul does letter writing, where he receives visitors. Actually, in in Acts chapter 28, when Paul finds his way to Rome, do you know how he, you know what his prison looks like? At the end of chapter 28, when Paul is left in, in Rome for two years, it says that he rents his own house that he lives in his own rented quarters, and that he receives guests. So a far cry from kind of he's he's shackled in a dungeon, he is given quite a bit of freedom during this time. And Luke's point, I think Luke's point is this. Yes, Paul has been arrested. Paul has been bound. Paul is a prisoner. But God has made it so 
that it is going to be a season of safety. It's going to be a season where his needs are taken care of. You think about his traveling, his traveling time, his free traveling time was not a season of safety. And it was not a time where he always knew where his next meal was going to come from. And now he is within a two-day journey of Jerusalem. He's, he's obviously got a sister up there somewhere, right? And he's, got, and he's got his followers, Timothy, Luke, all of these people, the people that came down with him from, from his missionary journeys, his entourage is able to come and go on his behalf. This is a significant time of protected ministry for the Apostle Paul, but it is different. And anytime change happens, and you all know this, I know this, change can oftentimes throw a little bit of a wrench in the works for us. But at the same time, God is blessing. It's change and it's difficult, but God is doing something in this season. You guys with me on this? Yeah, this is, sometimes for me, I have to readjust my understanding of what this looks like because Luke is not, Luke is not kind of saying, woe is Paul. Actually, what Luke is trying to say is that God has somehow conscripted the Romans into making a way for the message about Jesus because God can do anything and he's doing it. All right, what else is going to change? Paul spends most of his time when he's traveling freely. Like we said, he goes, he preaches in the synagogue, and when he gets kicked out, he goes and forms another meeting place, or he meets in the, in the, in the marketplace, the Agora. And what we're going to see here is that Paul is going to make a shift from the Agora Barker, right, to now presenting an official defense in courtrooms in front of rulers and kings. You know, sometimes we forget, is you just think back when Paul got knocked off his horse. You guys remember this back in chapter 9? We don't know if he was actually riding a horse, but the, the, the colloquialism is that Paul got knocked off his horse, right? Jesus shows up, blinding light. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, a good prophet would say, here I am, Lord. But Paul says what? Who are you, Lord? He doesn't know who Jesus is. And so, but at that time, so he's struck blind, he has to be walked into Damascus, and that God finds a disciple in Damascus. You remember his name? It's Ananias. He's the good one, the good Ananias. Ananias of chapter 5, bad. Ananias of chapter 9, good. Okay? This Ananias, God tells this Ananias something, and this is what God tells to Ananias in Acts 9.15. Go. Because Ananias is like, hey, I've heard a lot of things about this guy. You know, he's come here to, to kill me. And you want me to go to him. Okay. And so God says, hey, look, Ananias, go. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. All right. Now, if you're keeping score at home, and you're looking at the book of Acts. Paul has gone to the Gentiles. Paul has gone to his countrymen, the people of Israel. Paul has even met some officials. Okay? Paul has not sat in front of kings. You're like, is that just hyperbole or is that something that's going to happen? And here's the thing. God is, and, and you wonder how, 
So Ananias, you think he might have told Paul this? Look, why, Paul, why did you come? Like Paul might have said to Ananias, why did you come? And well, well, God told me, and he said this to, you know, to tell you, like you're going to be my witness in front of Gentiles and kings and your countrymen. But Paul is like, I have never stood in front of a king to give the message of Jesus. And there is, and what we're going to see now is we're entering into a time where that part of the message about him is now going to begin to be fulfilled. That he's not going to be an Agora marketplace barker gathering a crowd in a violent, you know, a situation that could go north or south any moment. He is going to be presenting polished defense in front of the rulers of the day. And ultimately, we're going to see in the next chapter, he's going to put, do it before Agrippa and Bernice, the king, this king of, uh, of Israel at the time. But he's also going to eventually be doing it before the king of the known world, which is the Caesar. He's my chosen instrument to carry my name before kings. And this is going to be an important part of Paul's story. I mean, just, I don't, Ananias, I love the person, I love the character of Ananias. I love, I, I'm looking forward to meeting Ananias when we get to, to heaven. Um, because I don't know if you've ever had someone like speak a word over your life or say something to you that you didn't totally understand at the moment. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul? Hey, you're going to carry this message before Gentiles, surprise, surprise, <laughs> and kings. And you wonder if Paul, how long that stuck in Paul's head. And when he was like, when is that going to happen, Lord? I remember when I was in high school, I came to faith, like I said, I, came, I was a 14-year-old freshman, I came to faith in Jesus, and um, on my high school campus, um, a few years later, a couple years later, I was like a junior or senior, um, there, was a, there was a Christian club on the campus. I don't know if you guys had something like this at your high school or just a, basically it was a banding together of all the believers, you know, just because we needed support, we needed friendship. But the thing about this, this group on my campus of these believers was um, they met in the same room that was, um, I just want, it was the special ed room. That's where they met. And I think a number of people just stayed in for, for lunch. And it was, not, it was not the greatest, most popular group of people. It was, a group, it was this total group of misfits in a lot of ways. It was not the, it was not the strong or the proud. It was, it was kind of the strange, the weirdos, a little bit. And I was like, okay, well, like I'm a believer, and this is the Christian gathering on our campus, so I'm going to go. Like, and I'm like, okay, this is what I do. I don't know, any, I don't know anybody here, but I'm just, I felt like it was, it was my, like part of what I needed to do to be a believer on that campus was to be part of this group. And I remember going all year long and it was like, hey, this is, this is cool. Like, I, it's, it's, I appreciate everybody, but like, it was just one of those, it was one of those things. As we got to the end of the year, one of the um, leaders, and I, I say this, I, I don't want you to make, I, I don't want you to think that I, well, at the time, I did think less of everybody, okay? I was a pretty proud dude. Uh, still am to some degree, right? Um, if we're doing self-reports, right? That we can have a little pride, right? So and I'll self-report that. But I remember one of the leaders, it was a college student who was kind of coming in to lead this. And um, at the end of the year, 
he was just kind of saying some things, and, um, and he looked straight at me. Like, I'm, you know, this guy, I've been quiet all year because I was like, this isn't really my group. I'm just kind of here to be supportive. And he just looked right at me and he said, I just see the Spirit of God on you. Like, you're going to do something significant for the kingdom. I can still remember it. It's like a junior in high school. I thought, it was, I thought I was all that, you know, even though Jesus had come into my life, he's still working on me. And every once in a while, God will bring that back to my mind. Hey, look, people can say all kinds of things about you, but sometimes somebody unexpected says something over you in the power of the Spirit. And to this day, I still think, man, God's going to do something through me in my life God is going to do something. You know, I thought maybe it would be in academics or maybe it would be, you know, with my PhD or maybe as a pastor or whatever, maybe here at Taft Avenue. But the thing is, one thing, just a, an enduring sense of purpose. And we see it in chapter 9 with Ananias speaking it over Paul. And now we see, and Paul goes through this 15-year career and he's like, maybe, that's, maybe that was the legacy. And maybe it is. But now Paul is like, yeah, things are changing. Things are shifting. And now I'm not barking at a group of people in the marketplace. I'm being brought into a palace. And there's not a throng of people around me clamoring for attention. I got one guy and his wife asking me questions about my faith in the quietness of a palace and I am giving free reign. I have been given free reign to speak everything that I have already learned and know. Keep in mind, Paul has already written the book of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the book of Romans, the book of 1 Thessalonians, the book of 2 Thessalonians, and now he's being invited into a palace and just asked questions about his faith. Look at the end of chapter 24. Verse 20, look, 24, 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. That the, the governor of the region has Paul, and he's just like, yeah, bring him in. I want to hear about his faith. Paul doesn't have to gather a crowd. God says, no, I'm just going to have this guy invite you in. And his wife and they're just going to ask you questions about your faith, and I just want you to talk to them. And the tone shifts from the Agora Barker to official proceedings, letters of transfer, defense orations. I think Luke is trying to make the point that all these accusations that are intending to try to stop Paul and the message of Jesus are actually backfiring, far from stopping the message. They're sending Paul and the message safeguarded to Rome. In a lot of ways, what is happening is they're level, God is leveling the playing field, that it's no longer, you don't have to worry about these, these riots and these uprisings and these mobs. You're going to be safe, even if it is going to be a little bit of a pause. Like what, at the very end of this, in verse 27, 
when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. This is a two-year stop for the Apostle Paul. God can do anything. And I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what Paul was thinking, but he probably was not thinking a two-year pause in Newport Beach, right? Or a two-year pause like, you just want me to spend two years talking to this couple about my faith. God's like, yes, that's what I want you to do. And I think some, if you're like me, I love progress. I love moving forward. I love plans. I don't like surprises. I like making plans. Does anybody in here like surprises? If you did, it wouldn't be a surprise, right? But God, God says, all right, Paul, you might be thinking this. I'm going to pause you. But you know what? Sometimes the pause is the mission. Sometimes the change of plans is the plan. And when we, when we can embrace that, when we can understand what God is doing, I don't know where you're at. You might be in a season of your life where you're like, yeah, things have been on pause. It's not the way I thought it was going to be. Let me just say this. You are in good company. You think the Apostle Paul thought he was going to be done traveling freely? You thought he was going to be done making leather goods? <laughs> You thought he was going to be in a, that he thought he was going to be in a palace in chains or whatever it was. God has plans and God will take you, God will be faithful to give you those opportunities, to give you ministry, because sometimes the pause is the mission. And God will send people to speak those wonderful words over your life and remind you God has a plan for your life. God has a call on your life. There are great things to be done. It might not be the way you thought, but where you are at, God is putting ministry in front of you. God is putting ministry in front of me. It might not be what you thought it was going to look like, COVID-19, but God is putting ministry in front of us. What I love about the Apostle Paul is that even if he might have had some questions, he just says, the pause is the mission. It's just faithfulness. If this is where I am, I'm just going to be faithful to preach the gospel. God has made a way. It's new. It's weird. It's strange. But God has made a way. He might have taken some things away, but he's provided some blessings at the same time. And we're going to continue as we look in the book of Acts and this voyage to Rome and what he does on the way to Rome. But I just want us to take a moment. As I, I'm going to have the worship team come on back up here. And I just want... I, I want you to just reflect for a little bit, like, what is happening right now that you weren't expecting, like ministry that maybe God has put in front of you that you hadn't planned on, and yet God is saying, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter, this is what I have for you in this season. Would you enter into it? Would you jump on this ministry? Now Easter's coming up. And one of the things we want to do is we, just, we believe that people are going to be starved for hope during this time. Maybe in a way we've never seen before. And that's not hyperbole. People are starving for hope. We're here to give hope. We, our church exists not just to have people come in and to hear hope, but our people go out and give hope. And so 
as, as we just, as we sing, as we worship, I just want, let's just pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would show us the ministry, the people that he would have before us, that we might be able to invite or that we might be able to minister to during this season.